Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Books in Technology. I am your host, Jasmine McNeely. You know, when we think about technological inventions and innovations, do we think about them as events occurring at one time and only one place? Or do we consider that innovations in technology and science as a whole involves many actors and places and entanglements? leading to the new object, objects, processes, etc. On the show today to examine this question with us, we have Amit Prasad, who is an associate professor at the University of Missouri-Columbia and the author of the new book, Imperial Technoscience, Transnational Histories of MRI in the United States, Britain, and India. So welcome to the show, Amit. Thank you, Jasmine, for having me on the show. No problem. Well, first of all, one of the things we like to do when we have an author on the show is allow them to give us some of their background. Um, so please tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, broadly, like growing up in India, you see like you, you almost always hear these stories wherein that how the British colonialism occurred because of the influence of technologies. Mm-hmm. So even in middle school, you read like in the history books that how Lord Clive with 1500 soldiers because of the guns could dominate much larger armies. Mm -hmm. And this is not about specific instances or incidents, but rather a broader understanding of how different societies are organized. Mm -hmm. Something like Michael Adas calls like, like machine as a measure of different societies. And that became a very important part of... You see the the colonial history and the the, the arguments about colonialism, that how technology played a certain role. Now, so this was a kind of a concern that, like, it is there in the collective consciousness, so to say. Now, when when I started engaging with it properly, it was slightly later because my undergraduate was in physics with minors in chemistry and mathematics. Mm -hmm. and in India, if you do like physics and chemistry, mathematics, you do not do like the social sciences. <laughs> <laughs> so I started engaging it properly when I joined like MA in sociology and was lucky to have uh, somebody like J.P.S. Uberoy, one of the best known sociologists who worked in sociology of science. And then I started looking into this much, much more carefully that how are we to think about one aspect of concern for me was these transnational aspects of technological innovations. Mm -hmm. And the other, which I was very intrigued by, was this computer-assisted medical technologies like MRI. Like, Mm -hmm. how do they develop? How do they represent? How do they diagnose? So I was trying to bring these two together. And... The immediate context in which this became urgent for me was the, the shifts that have started to occur in the new millennium, mm-hmm. wherein you see that countries like India, China, there are these technological innovations taking place, which has led to a lot of commentary. 
and there is a celebration of the flatness of the world, so to say, mm-hmm. and yet various anxieties. Now, when we look at the level of societies, we think that, okay, you got to analyze at this broader collective level. But what we often forget that it is this, that we need to question and understand small things, like how do we understand invention itself? Until and unless we open that up, like invention as not like the development of a technology, not as a linear thing starting with a unitary aspect of invention, but rather resulting out of distributed cognition, which brings together people, ideas, knowledges, technologies from different places. So that is how I was trying to locate this whole book, so to say, and my broader concern, Mm -hmm. the transnational aspects of it to open it up that how we understand invention, how we understand technological development, how do we understand diffusion, and how do we understand transnationally so that we can understand better what is the transformations that are occurring at present, but also question and challenge the histories that have been written, which have largely advocated or talked about West versus non-West technocultural divides. Right. Now, you just talked about challenge to histories, and I, I wanted to read back a portion of a quote from uh, the book, Imperial Technoscience. And one of the things you said that struck me was the dark ages were not dark everywhere, right? So you, you, you make that, I think you say that in the, the introductory chapter, and it's really about um, how the West or global North, sometimes called, is considered... Uh, you know, the, the birthplace of a lot of technology and, and science and, and innovation to the, uh, I guess, almost exclusion or uh, the ignoring of things happening in the global South or East. And I just want to allow you to talk about that, and that, that quote specifically as well. That is a very good observation because you see that is a quote from a particular report from a think tank, a British think tank. And uh, what you see is the ambivalence that is there, which I mentioned earlier as well, wherein at one level they are saying that dark ages were not dark everywhere. Now, this might seem a simple innocuous comment, but what it is doing is that it is challenging a particular kind of Eurocentric history which posits the emergence of science and technology at a particular time in Europe and then disseminating to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. So what it does, that this report very interestingly, and this, this is not uncommon at present, at one level challenges that Eurocentric genealogy by saying that dark ages were not dark everywhere. And then soon thereafter, it goes on to say science in India developed under the, what, like the colonialist thing as scientific institutions developed. Mm-hmm. So what I what I try to argue here is that there is this ambivalent and contradictory folding of, so to say, the imperial and the more contingent transformations that are taking, contingent emergent transformations that are taking place. And that is why you see in the title itself, there is this play of imperial and technoscience. The term technoscience has been used within science and technology studies quite a bit, following Bruno Latour in particular, to signify the emergent aspects of scientific practice and not. So what I do here is that I locate it there and thereafter I show how MRI development through history folds together these imperial 
hierarchical structural aspects which have implications with regard to transnational which has implications with regard to particular labs which has with regard to different countries and the more contingent and emergent aspects of technological development like uh, simple things like how mri itself emerged like ideas or particular ideas and how it spread through distributed cognition mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay now now one of the things you you talk about um and you just talk about it and you talked about the name of the book imperial technoscience so what is that that title come from and you just you know mentioned it but imperial technoscience transnational histories of mri united states britain can you talk about the title a little more and also can you talk about why now why i guess put this book out at this moment Uh, again that's a uh, really important to think about that way because there is like when i put imperial technoscience for anybody who knows the use of the term technoscience and because it it is not commonly used it is largely within the science technology studies literature but it is becoming more common bruno latour uses it and then it has become very very common within this field of study to signify this open emergent forming aspects of technoscience or science and technology rather than something wherein it is already the knowledge the disputes are already settled and so and there is a lot of emphasis within science and technology studies on the emergent aspects of science on the fact that science is more about bricolage and bringing together rather than something which is already there are these ideas which are just implemented mm-hmm. so there is that aspect which is very very important because what it does is that it opens up not just with regard to opens up the history and sociology not just with regard to particular technology particular historical events but also the broader classifications of societies that i mentioned earlier above so i one you see one line of like analysis follows these these open and emergent aspects but what i do is that i parallel it together with these hierarchical what i call the imperial mm-hmm. now i specifically use imperial also because of the fact that very often these hierarchical structural aspects in the transnational context are held together by this idea of western exceptionalism that science emerged in europe at a particular time and thereafter it just disseminated to the rest of the world mm-hmm. but the argument being that this imperial the western exceptionalism is built upon not just as a discursive category but also fed through various structural aspects for example the emergence of big science which requires not just funding but in a big scale but also uh, collaborations in a very very big scale which automatically starts excluding so what i did was like by bringing these two together i did not want to be one reductive in the sense that it is just imperial mm-hmm. or it is just emergent i show the folding of these two together and how they impact each other so to say the imperial aspects and the emergent aspects so the subtitle in in a sense that initially when i had started working i thought i would do a comparative of united states and india mm-hmm. and what i realized that even if you were to add much more data and detail what ends up happening is that it again can easily get folded within a west non west divide mm-hmm. so what i found was that with regard to mri britain was actually a very very important center in the 1970s and then it shifts in 
from there to U.S. becoming the major center in 80s. So I started writing this transnational histories wherein I showed these entangled histories of MRI development in United States, Britain, and India. Now, what I do here is I do not dismiss these broader categories of West, non-West, or nations, for example, United States, Britain, or India, because they bear upon how research is conducted, how scientific travels are conducted and all, mm-hmm. but nevertheless open it up. So, for example, when Britain was the important center in the 1970s, scientists from different parts of the world, including the United States, were going to, the, going to Britain to do research. When in the 80s it shifts to United States, again, a lot of scientists from different parts of the world, they shift to United States. Mm-hmm. So one central argument for uh, in this book is rather that when a country becomes or a region becomes the center of techno-scientific innovations, it is because it is directly or indirectly a receiver of or it's the center of flows of knowledge, technologies, people from different parts of the world. So in that sense, what it does is that it opens up and shows the entangled aspects of inventions, innovations, technological development and diffusion. Mm I, I hope I clarified somewhat at least. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the things you just mentioned also, and it's mentioned in the book as well, is the idea of big science. And we, yeah. we hear about now one of the, the buzz terms is big data. But we don't really hear about big science a lot. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about big science and what that actually means, particularly within the context of this, um, of your book. Sure. And that, that again is something to like put together. This is very interestingly that you put together these uh, these two. Like the concept of big science was proposed actually to signify uh, the the expansion of scientific research in so many different axes. Mm-hmm. One was the economic, the other was geographical. Uh, third was like in a, in a variety of ways you could think of. Uh, also like knowledge sharing in certain ways. So you see in particle physics labs, for example, there are thousands of scientists who are working together. And uh, research from elsewhere is brought together and also, and it requires a lot of expense, all these connections and networks. So the idea of big was not merely in the economic sense, Mm -hmm. but a much, much broader transformation that comes about, largely after World War II. In fact, many people see the atom bomb project as signifying the beginning of a certain, this kind of a, uh, some people call it company town of mm-hmm. way of doing research or so. So there are others who have also argued that big science is a kind of a form of life itself. In the sense of it is a form or a way of doing research wherein you don't do this whole idea of individual research, but rather through collaborations across different uh, disciplines, nations, etc. Mm-hmm. Now, in the context of MRI research and in, like the related NMR research, you see that the scientific groups were usually five or eight, but at, like the number of people who were involved, not that big. But nevertheless, you see, there was a the economic scale shifts very, very dramatically. Mm-hmm. I'll come to it and explain in a bit more further. Then, the interdisciplinarity shifts very, very dramatically, not just like collaborations between engineers and medical scientists, radiologists, but these are these are all emerging together. 
at the same time. Now with MRI you see in part initially because of the magnet itself because MRI requires a very high field magnet which is uh, which has like a uniform across like whatever the body part that is being imaged which meant half the cost of MRI was a result of the magnet itself. Now when the initially MRI was developing imaging was done largely at lower magnetic fields. I mean, in fact, it was thought that as you move to much higher magnetic field, imaging may not be done because it may impact the penetration of those rays uh, inside the radio frequencies inside the human body, so to say. Mm-hmm. But as it was, and it was a, again an emergent aspect that it transformed into high field MRI and G played a very significant role in that apart from other it also changed the way research was conducted. And what it did was it excluded not just scientists in India because they were excluded even earlier when NMR had in the 50s, 60s and 70s had become bigger science. But even the British scientists, we often think of like when we think of like, okay, lack or lag or something like that with regard to, so to say, the non-Western countries or the South. Mm-hmm. But Scientists in Britain were saying that they were no, no longer able to compete. There were papers being rejected. So I use big to signify this transformation. Now, we got to understand this is not merely a technical economic shift, but also a way of being. In the chapter on culture, I what I do is like the, the fifth chapter that I'm talking about, the cultural one, cultural dominant in, in about MRI research, in the US, in Britain and India, in the context of the US, I call it big is beautiful. Mm -hmm. This was a trope, not just with regard to MRI, but otherwise something which is celebrated in the US. So it allowed a certain kind of an acceptance, which also made United States the center in the 80s as it stabilized and became bigger and bigger science. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now we're starting to get to it and I guess... I really like this because it's really flowing together, the, the questions I have for you. And that is, you know, you were talking about um, culture and science and the uh, the mix of those two or the entanglements between those two. You're just talking about how doing or certain ways or methodologies actually excluded certain uh, groups, whether it's British or uh, Indian scientists or even some scientists in the United States. And and one of the things or key topics you talk about in the book is cultures of science. And I was wondering if you could perhaps talk about the importance um, of thinking about culture and science and technology, particularly with respect to your book, because I think it's so important and a lot of people don't understand or even think about the ways that culture and perhaps a little cultural imperialism can um, affect or become an obstacle sometimes to whether it's entry into research or doing research or who can conduct research or who re- whose research is published. Uh-huh. That indeed is really important because what we see that with regard to sciences, we have grown into understanding like this is all over we have learned and thought about and heard rather, is that how there is science 
body is a universal culture that is rational, scientific method, so to say, or scientific rationality. And very often you see the epistemological categories of objectivity, rationality are translated into cultural categories. Mm-hmm. That whether And so what you see is that it created a, a, a certain kind of what one sociologist like calls a culture of no culture because it was not located in a place. Nevertheless, what you start seeing is that it was used, science was used to categorize different societies on the basis of different cultures. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, India as a part of the non-West or the British or the American, and these, as you rightly point out, these were not just uh, something which were uh, stray or outside the purview of impact, but the impact how research is conducted. So, you, like when I was in Britain, for example, interviewing scientists, many of the scientists, when they talked about the MRI research, they would say, well, the British are good at inventing, but they're not good at developing. Mm. And there is, this is a very strong cultural trope. Now, this occurred also because, you see, city scanners were also developed there, and EMI, one of the companies in Britain, used to be the dominant uh, manufacturers till it completely lost out. And before that, ultrasound and other technologies like the car industry. So there is this broad cultural trope and one cannot just dismiss it as something which is superfluous. I mean, I can point out historically, one of the quotes I have there is by Daniel Defoe in 1728, wherein he said that British in 1728, he was saying that British are good at imitating rather than inventing. So obviously there is a historical shift that has occurred. But nevertheless, this culture, whatever is the belief of the time, has a very, very strong impact. And what I try to do here is twofold. One, to highlight the impact of cultural beliefs and yet show that how particular cultures of nations or societies or even within labs, they are constituted through entanglements within and across nations. Mm-hmm. So, for example... British positioning in relation to the rest of the world after World War II or India's positioning in relation to the West or otherwise. And they have very, very important impact. I'll give you an example with regard to India. When I was interviewing a radiologist in India, in Delhi, he told me how he wanted to use uh, some of uh, MR, like uh, spectroscopy research for uh, breast cancer detection and all. So I said, do you know that uh, All Indian Institute of Medical Sciences, where I was conducting my research, has done some really good research, uh, studies on this? And the person did not even know about it. Hmm. So the cultural belief of the West-Non-West divide comes to impact how they look for information. And I found very often that when Indian scientists were thinking about, like the, when the first MRI was imported at Institute of Nuclear Medicine and Allied Sciences uh, in 1987, uh, in Delhi, I interviewed that uh, the director of that institute, and he had no idea that India was the first place where Paul Lottover, one of the persons who received the Nobel Prize, he, where he made the presentation in 1973, and there was already a research body. So there is almost a disconnect. Mm-hmm. So what I am implying here is that these cultural beliefs, so to say, they are embodied in various social, economic, structural issues, as well as technical aspects. 
and they are entangled in the transnational context, the discursive imaginaries, and they impact how we do research. Same thing with the U.S. You see, like, I mean, the, the belief in big is beautiful also propels a certain kind of a research. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, what I am like focusing on and I'm trying to emphasize here is that how one culture is scientific culture is not one of those universal or whatever the way we understand objective, which is completely outside the context. It is located, but it is located not in the fossilized sense of particular society being a particular kind of attitude or a particular nation having a particular kind of scientific attitude, but rather as in the confluence of entangled histories, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. technical, social, cultural, economic, all these together, and they shift. So, for example, in India now, the shift is dramatic. In 2001, when I was interviewing some 2000-2001, when I was interviewing some scientists, they told me that how they did not patent because uh, their research, because they thought in India, uh, the goddess of Saraswati and goddess Lakshmi, that is goddess of knowledge and goddess of wealth, they don't go together. Mm-hmm. And this is intriguing. And now there is a glut of patenting going on. Now, what happened? Did the culture suddenly shift? What It did shift, but it shift parallel to these entangled transformations. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, in, in the book, Imperial Technoscience, Transnational Histories of MRI in the United States, Britain, and India, you know, you talk about five facets of transnational technoscience, and that is invention, industrial development, marketing, history, and culture. So how do those five facets um, really affect or make up mm-hmm. transnational technoscience? That again is a very, very important thing for Like when we think about technological innovation, usually a linear history is presented whereby the idea is that, okay, there was an invention largely seen as an idea. Then there was its implementation, that's development of technology. And then there is diffusion. So there is a linearity which is sort of presented that way. And so in a sense, it is moving from uh, the lab to the industry and then to the market, so to say. Mm -hmm. So there is one linearity of that kind. The other is with regard to when we understand history or like culture. Culture is, as I mentioned earlier, is always seen outside. It It is seen to have impact on technological innovations, but not on technical choices, so to say. While history, particularly you see the history in the non-Western context, it becomes an dependent history. So much so, a dependent history because it is seen as science in India, like as I talked about earlier, developed as a result of the these institutions that were implemented or established under the British rule and the scientific culture or otherwise. So what you start seeing is that there is let me go one by one to explain it like uh, in a way so that it doesn't become uh, because you said like it is addressing to uh, largely an audience of uh, non-academics as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, so there are these three elements that I'm discussing here. One is to deconstruct the idea of the history of technology within this linear frame starting from origin, invention, uh, development and diffusion. 
So what I do is that each of these, you see, I open it up and, and I try to show that how actually these are entangled together, like the market itself impacting the trajectory of MRI, so to say, in a certain way, or like the industrial involvement in a certain way impacting even our understanding of MRI. We, for example, forget the fact that MRI as the name was given in 1980s, mid-1980s. That was almost the same time when the FDA gave approval for uh, the MRI use mm -hmm. because earlier it used to be called a nuclear magnetic resonance scanner because it developed from NMR. So what you start seeing is that the history itself gets rewritten as we move further through these developments, through this marketing, through this expansion. So one element I was trying to deconstruct and open up through the imperial and the emergent aspects of science was this. The other was more specifically with regard to history in the context of the non-West. Now, as I mentioned, history in the non-West becomes a dependent history, wherein it is seen that whatever is happening in the non-West is a result of the influence of the West mm -hmm. or engagement with the West. Now, the impact of it is so much that even history is not written. So, for example, with regard to MRI research, I found only a one-page note on nuclear magnetic resonance research, almost no other historical document. Not even when did the first MRI come to India or things like that. Part of it, it is presumed to be dependent. And so it is not even looked at. What I did was, with regard to Indian context, I traced the various trails of research going way back into 1940s showing how these were competing trails with the Western context. And yet, they become disconnected because of certain reasons. Mm -hmm. Technical, cultural, economic, emergence of big science and things like that. So there is that opening up as well. Then the last part wherein culture, as I said earlier, culture is very often seen as something which is like scientific culture in particular, as objective, as universal. How do we understand located cultures? Located cultures, which is also shifting as the networks themselves shift, as the entanglements shift. So in a sense, the reason why I focus on, to go back to the thing, I focus on these five key elements of the history of technology is to deconstruct it and open it in a way that we can see the hierarchical as well as emergence aspects of technological development how it transforms, how it transforms our imaginaries, how it transforms our way of looking at things and and how should we think about now technological innovations. Mm -hmm. So what are the, the larger implications of a study in a, a book like this? Um, when we think about other um, socio-technical systems and, and also um, technological innovations, particularly now when uh, innovation is happening at such a rapid pace, uh, comparatively, perhaps, what are the larger implications of, you know, transnational histories like this? I, I, I think that is indeed very, very important to think those ways because of, okay, let, let me just list like one is with regard to having technological innovations themselves. It is rather important to understand uh, that how innovations take place through the distributed cognition, through the entanglements. I'll, I'll give you an example of India because there it becomes much more stark. 
because the movement and the flows of people, knowledges and technologies are uh, slightly more difficult, wherein you start seeing that people are talking of an indigenous technology which is almost exclusively developed within India. Mm-hmm. My argument is that you cannot think in those ways. That, okay, this is just a British thing, this is just a American thing. Because as I talk even earlier, even with regard to Britain, that when Britain was the center of MRI research in the 70s, it was to quite an extent because it was able to garner expertise from different countries, different places together. Or same thing goes with United States. So what I am trying to talk about with regard to technological innovations, a very different kind of imaginary itself, wherein we rather than we trying to think about like a rooted, located in terms of national, west, non-west contact, that we understand its spread and entanglements and develop innovations accordingly. Mm -hmm. So one is with regard to just technological innovations themselves. And I am trying to get directly involved in some of these. So, for example, in collaboration with the scientists in India, we are starting a non-profit organization on how to have technological innovations of mobile technologies, uh, like mobile MRIs or things like that. So when I go to India this time, this is something I work on. The second is more intellectual academic, wherein we think about history differently. As I mentioned, like we have grown into this history of West-Non-West divide with regard to science and technology. Mm -hmm. But my argument is we need to radically question it. What do we mean by scientific revolution? What implications does it have by having a historical marker like that, particularly with regard to West-Non-West divide kind of a thing? We know, for example, that the first time it was being used was in the early 20th century, the term itself. So the issue at stake is not that there were not these kinds of transformations in Europe or so, but by constituting as an origin or a permanent marker, what does it do? So we need to think of historiography differently, mm-hmm. which has implications with regard to even sociological work, in the sense of the fact that even if I am comparing sociologically, let's say, techno-scientific research in India and the U.S., I think we will look at it very, very differently if we are outside of the Eurocentric constructions. Hmm. So it is these which I am really, really uh, thinking about. And as you said, like, I mean, this, the implications are with regard to other aspects as well. Either we are thinking about with regard to big data or we are thinking about software or we are thinking about other technologies which are inc- like because the world is becoming, I mean, it has become way more connected as we see it now Mm -hmm. and we just cannot ignore it i mean and we we ignore it on our own peril right absolutely so the book is imperial technoscience transnational histories of mri in the united states britain and india now they can order it from mit press or it's also available on amazon and other book retailers correct Yes, it is available through a lot of bookstores. So if you look at it, I mean, this is, uh, and one could buy the ebook or like the hard copy. Absolutely. And what if they order the book and they want to read some more of your writings um, in the meantime? Where can they find more information from you? Many of my articles are on my university website. So if they did a Google search, Amit Prasad, they would be able to go to my uh, university website and get articles on that. And my broader concern remains, like, how do we rethink about the transnational uh, aspects of techno-scientific innovations? And so in a sense, now my present work is, again, like going into embryonic stem cell therapy and stem cell therapies. Mm -hmm. So 
it is again that how do we think about like this uh, bringing together and these are available like my articles are at least they are listed on my website and some of them are present there as well mm-hmm. so you just mentioned uh, you're you're considering uh, embryonic stem cells is that what's next for you i have been working for the last couple of years uh, on embryonic stem cell therapy and stem cell therapy and again the idea was how do we think of because this is much more controversial both both in ethical terms as well as scientific medical terms mm-hmm. uh, that uh, it is there but nevertheless there are a lot of patients from the united states and europe who are going to uh, clinics in india to receive this treatment so i started conducting and uh, a kind of field work in a particular clinic clinic in delhi in 2012 and i interviewed uh, a lot of quite a few patients as well as the doctors over there i made observations largely to understand that again that how the transnational so to say is coming at play both in terms of impacting how we understand ethics mm-hmm. so for example privacy and other issues how they are getting impacted or how do we understand techno scientific innovation itself like this particular clinic has been providing stem cell therapy for the last 10 years so 12 14 years so uh, 12 years actually mm-hmm. 12 uh, so how do we understand this so this is what i have been working on right now That's and i am going again like uh, in like in another 15 days i'm going again to india to complete my field work Great. Well, that sounds good. And we look forward to hearing more about that, as well as picking up and reading Imperial Technoscience, Transnational Histories of MRI in the United States, Britain, and India. Amit, thank you again for coming on the show and talking about this with us today. And this has been New Books in Technology. Have a good week.